Thank you for downloading this episode of Case Notes. Case Notes was recorded at the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh as part of the Edinburgh History of Medicine seminar series. You can get news of our latest events if you follow us on Twitter at RCP Heritage. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, and just to start by saying many thanks to the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh for asking me tonight to, to give a talk and to share some of the work around collecting COVID that we've been doing at the Science Museum. Um, I am speaking to you live from a lovely evening in North London. So that means that I am available to take any answer any questions that you might have directly after my talk. So I'm aiming to last about 35 minutes or so, and then um, we can have a bit of a Q&A afterwards. Now, it feels a mistake to be starting um, this talk by perhaps giving away my age, but just to say that I have worked in museums for nearly 30 years, and during that time I have worked in many enormous and complicated projects but I think it's safe to say that none of them have been as complicated and has just as difficult as collecting COVID-19. It's something that has been an enormous challenge for myself and my team. It feels rather odd to be standing here completely on my own talking about something that has been such a such a group project um, for, for myself and my colleagues. Um, so I, I don't want to list out the names of everybody who's been involved, but I do feel I particularly have to say my colleagues um, at the Science Museum, Stuart Emmons and Selina Hurley, who have literally been at my shoulder every step of the way and who have just both been absolutely fantastic. So what I'd like to be doing this evening is just to tell you a bit about some of the challenges that, that we've met with collecting COVID-19 and how we have tried with varying degrees of success to overcome them. Now to start off, of course, we've got a, a lovely picture of the Science Museum in South Kensington. I think the photographer is dangling from his toenails um, from the top of the V&A because it's, it's quite an unusual angle showing, showing the museum there. As you can see, this looks like a very traditional, solid Edwardian museum. And it's a reminder that the traditional role of um, museums is to collect, catalogue, preserve and interpret for posterity. So for everybody forever. And this, of course, is by no means a straightforward activity. It's heavily influenced by the personalities of the people doing the collection, by all sorts of external influences and obstacles that curators might be facing at the time. So as a result, historic collections are often a bit uneven in their content and there can be significant gaps. Now, surely many has been the researcher over the years who has been utterly crushed to discover that there are no objects, no material culture relating to the study that, um, that they're hoping to carry out, that there's no evidence left at all in the, in the museum record, particularly things that were just ordinary, everyday throwaway items that have literally been thrown away. So there can, be, there can be many reasons for gaps in museum collections. Um, perhaps the window for collecting something was simply too brief, or perhaps 
items didn't seem particularly important at the time, but did in retrospect. There could be any, any number of practical, ethical, or even emotional reasons that objects were not grabbed to be saved um, for, for the future. In recent years, closer interrogation of museum collections has also revealed how objects who might illustrate the lives and experiences of particular groups and communities are also missing from the museum record. Um, particularly groups of people um, affected by disability, different ethnicities, gender or sexual orientations. But whatever the reason, things are lost and often they're lost for good. So one area where absences can often be encountered is in the representation of epidemic and pandemic disease in museum collections. And even the uh, medicine collection at the Science Museum, which is acknowledged to be one of the finest in the world, it's absolutely enormous, over 150,000 objects. But even so, there are significant gaps in the breadth and the scope of this collection. So at the Science Museum, almost the entire first floor is now given up to the, the new medicine galleries. I say new, they were, they were opened to the public in um, November 2019, and we were only open for four months. Um, and during this time, um, these young ladies were snapped leaving um, our, our lovely Victorian pharmacy on gallery. Um, so only four months later, the, um, the museum closed its doors for the first time since, since the Second World War. Um, the, since this closure and the, the brief periods of being temporarily reopened and now we hope permanently reopened, the medicine curators have been trying to collect um, the experience and the science behind COVID-19. And we started collecting in February, 2020, looking at the impact um, of the pandemic um, on future generations. We've also been trying to, you know, as, as curators of a historic collection, it seems a great opportunity to look back into the historic record while we're collecting in the contemporary and to see what lessons we could learn from looking at particularly absences in the collection in the past. Now, Perhaps the best example of an absence of a pandemic in collections in medical history is the 1918-19 Spanish flu pandemic. And we have um, on the screen at the moment a photograph of a hall that's been converted into a, a temporary ward, very, very resonant to us, of the, the similar to the NHS Nightingale hospitals. Almost certainly the deadliest pandemic of all time um, guesses are that over 100 million people may have been killed with over 500 million infected. But yet to a large extent, um, the, it features in the public consciousness only as a footnote to the First World War. And the way that the Spanish flu almost misses a perceived place in history, we can see mirrored in its place in historic medical collections by the very absence of the objects um, relating to this, this seismic event. 
the medicine collections at the Science Museum, items that are related directly to Spanish flu can be almost counted on one hand. They are at best tangential to the pandemic. So for example, examples of over-the-counter treatments such as the one we have on screen at the moment, um, with a face mask or two dating from that period that, that may or may not have been used. If you put in Spanish flu or any variations of that into the, um, the very extensive digital catalogue of the Science Museum collections, you get exactly no results at all. Whereas if you put in the First World War, the number of results you get are in, are in the low thousands. So this gives you, um, gives you an idea. Um, objects um, in other museum collections um, do have a bit more representation of, of the Spanish flu pandemic. So perhaps advertisements sharing um, public health uh, directives or items relating to the spread of infections, such as disinfectant, hand washing, masks. But as a rule, material culture relating to Spanish flu in museums is very, very thin on the ground. Now, so the reason of the, for the lack of museum objects relating to this major disease event appear to be really, really complex and overlapping. And we, it's something that we have given um, quite a bit of a thought to in, in my team. The Spanish flu pandemic unfolded very, very quickly vast majority of the deaths occurring in the autumn of 1918, um, which is at the same time the First World War was coming to a close. Um, of course, the pandemic had an incredibly swift and brutal impact on those who were already traumatised by the, by the First World War, particularly because the Spanish flu um, often killed um, uh, young and fit people, so less so children and less so older people. So this had a major ongoing impact as it was often the potential breadwinners of the family who were lost. So when we think about um, uh, the, perhaps the, the pain of this subject, we wonder can this correlate to the, the gaps in the, in the medical collections that things were, were not kept because it was just too upsetting to, to want to be reminded by those, particularly by those very traumatized already by the, the First World War. Um, on screen at the moment, we have a, a beautiful illustration from the art collections of the Science Museum called Detrained and it's showing the wounded um, being taken off a, a hospital train. So other reasons for the lack of objects, uh, many epidemic and pandemic events are more practical. So perhaps much of the equipment that was, was used um, through in a pandemic or epidemic just simply continued to be used um, as part of everyday use um, until it lost its meaning or, or simply fell apart. Um, not, not specialised items, but just ordinary items around hygiene, nursing or, or um, lab equipment. Um, another reason is that um, perhaps items uh, might have been burnt or destroyed, um, something rightly or not as considered a, an infection risk. So something that was done uh, very commonly, um, a standard practice as a way of minimising health risks.
unlike COVID-19, there was no vaccine for the Spanish flu. So all measures were preventative or concerned with the treatment of symptoms. So the use of government directives, encouraging hand washing, discouraging public um, gatherings, ordering good ventilation, all things that are very, um, very familiar to us now, of course. But these directives leave no physical trace apart from perhaps paper communications, um, perhaps advertisements for cures. Um, and these do survive in, in some museum collections, um, but they're not especially numerous. Even rarer are examples of this item all too familiar to those of us living over a century after the outbreak of the Spanish flu, the face mask. And these were once as ubiquitous um, as they are now in our fight against COVID-19, but very, very few survive in museum collections. And on the left, we've got a couple on a London street in 1918 with their masks on. Um, and um, next to them is a photograph of my sister Bryony with her handmade face mask. So the Spanish flu pandemic is a really strong example of a pandemic that barely made an impression in museum collections, um, despite an enormous impact both at the time and for future generations. But it's by no means the only one. Diphtheria, measles, scarlet fever, three of the most common infectious diseases for children in post-industrial society, which together with whooping cough posed one of the, the biggest health threats um, for infants and young children. But yet, despite the records of the, the truly shocking mortality rates that are kept in the written record, again, we see very, very little objects have actually been saved. Um, there are exceptions to this, of course. Um, some of the uh, epidemics that devastated communities have a very strong presence in museum collections. They fare better in their presence. Polio is one example that clearly caught the attention of collectors and curators, possibly due to the innovations in technology that developed as a response to, um, to this disease. Polio, rather than as a, a single a devastating event, polio emerged to become a recurring seasonal epidemic throughout the middle years of the 19th century. And it made regular and appalling reappearances that prompted vaccine research, uh, the successful outputs of which were rolled out across the world um, from the 1950s. Polio, as we know, killed but also left people with significantly weakened health and long-term disabilities. And the um, extended over its extended time frame, it developed its own material culture. The Science Museum is famous for having the largest collection, so far as I know, in the world of iron lungs. And we have an example of one on the, um, on the screen at the moment. And these are enormous ventilators that the patient would be um, placed inside, forcing the air in and out of the patient's chest if the chest was, was paralyzed by this disease and they were unable to breathe unaided, hopefully on a temporary basis until the um, 
breathing muscles improved, but in some cases they, they were there for years. So these, these, the very size perhaps of this machinery contributes to its continuing presence in our, in our lives. So they were, they're difficult to dispose of. Uh, we have two on display at the moment. So next time you come to the Science Museum in London, have a look. They are really very, very big. So understandably, a busy hospital might well have just tucked it down in the basement. And of course, there was always the fear that, you know, perhaps they might well be, be needed again. So almost perhaps just by accident, they became historically interesting, just almost, almost inadvertently. Elsewhere, other less technologically impressive pieces that relate to polio, we've literally saved from the skip by curatorial intervention. So among the Science Museum's collections are splints, supports, and modified shoes developed for child polio patients at Trelaws Hospital in Hampshire on either side of the Second World War. And I find these very poignant and quite moving um, articles. Um, they, they show signs of use and they, um, they, they endured for, for decades, just again, just knocking around the hospital until they were literally retrieved by a visiting curator shortly before the hospital was demolished. And we have uh, one example of the many, many pieces that, um, that were saved at that time we have on, on the screen at the moment. So from looking at, as well as partly living through the history of collecting, today's museum curators have gained an awareness of the challenges of collecting linked to epidemics and pandemics including an assessment of what is most likely to be lost. Um, like the face masks issued en masse in 1918, material that becomes so familiar, so normal, that we almost stop seeing it, is something that, that we believe is, is at most at risk, almost because of its, its ubiquity. So it is the leaflets, the stickers, the posters that, that you see on the tube. Items that were deliberately created to be one use only in a, in a clinical setting or were designed to be thrown away for other reasons, be it hospital PPE, posters at the tube station, supermarket signage, or the crucial but disposable kit used by scientists and laboratories, these things will either naturally or necessarily be discarded after their use or when they're no longer needed. So how, how do we apply these insights, these lessons that we can see from historic collections, how could we apply them to our collecting as the pandemic rages about us today? For medical curators, the success of such collecting often depends on ensuring crucial relationships with supportive stakeholders. And these could be medical professionals, uh, whether active or retired, scientists, patients, patient advocates, and that these relationships should be nurtured and maintained. So 
The Science Museum has got numerous supporters, colleagues, critical friends, and that gives us the access to contemporary collecting around medicine that actually makes it possible. But although such expert advice potentially is available, physical site visits to where the work is actually happening is crucially important. And again, there is that, um, that idea that something becomes almost invisible if you work, if you work with it on a day-to-day -day basis. You would just think, oh, that's just ordinary, that's there, that's there the whole time. Whereas if we have a group of sharp-eyed curators coming in, then they can perhaps spot oh, but actually that is interesting, that has a personal story to it, that links into something else. And th this is something that was a, a problem because we literally could not make these site visits. I have on the screen at the moment, uh, some of the signage that was used when the Science Museum's own vaccination centre over the summer was, was moving in. And this was a great opportunity for us. So the vaccine centre took place in two of our big exhibition halls um, at, on the second floor of the building. And this meant that we were really able to nurture relationships with the NHS staff, whether they wanted us to or not. Um, we could just pop up and, oh, if you're busy, we'll go away and come back later. But it meant that when the, when the uh, vaccination closed last month, we were able to swoop in very early in the morning, the day after it closed, and were able to, to collect things that were otherwise going to be thrown away. So we've got a fantastic snapshot of the contents of the vaccine centre, which is a really important part of the museum history, but also of, of London history, as well as the history of the pandemic. The medical curators at the Science Museum started to collect quite early on and it became very clear um, that sourcing and collecting objects and material associated with the pandemic while that pandemic was happening was going to be less than straightforward. So despite what we had um, by analysing the historic collection and assumptions that we've made, the challenges have been and continue to be um, very significant indeed. One interesting thing that we found is the impact of the import of personal relationships. And this is something that we're so used to trying to broaden our audiences and to cast our net as widely as possible. And it's almost as if we've sort of gone back in on ourselves. So we one example of this, we have on screen at the moment the lectern signage that was on the front of the um, when um, the Prime Minister was making announcements. So it's signage that was stuck to the front of the lectern. And this is something I think that uh, we would never have got our hands on had it not been that our director of comms had an old friend working in the press office at Downing Street, who due to a little bit of nagging from, from, my, from my lovely colleague Pete, um, continued to pack up every time the branding changed, pack up and just literally popped it in the post to us. And these are, are now on display in the museum. Um, next slide, we have um, some material relating to the human challenge trials at Oxford, 
we are hoping to collect more around human challenge trials. I think that is something that it's it's particularly interesting, particularly the role of the the volunteer in the pandemic is something that is is a is a really important element of the of the pandemic, and we're hoping to to acquire more material related to this. Human challenge trials, of course, are complex ethically, which from our point of view makes them even more interesting. And ethics more broadly was always going to play a really important part in this collecting project. So much so that we actually formed an advisory panel quite early on, and that's something that we wouldn't normally do for a collecting project. And one of the, the main um, focuses of our advisory panel was to give an ethical steer. Curators of medical history are no strangers to ethical issues. We are continually collecting, interpreting and displaying sensitive material. But the rapid response collecting around COVID-19 threw up an entirely new raft of ethical problems for us. Practically, our supporters, um, our friends um, in, in involved in uh, biomedical research and delivery suddenly became extremely busy, understandably, and new relationships that we had hoped to develop um, were also proving very problematic. So not only was there the practical issue of of, of actually pinning people down and getting in touch with them, but there's also the issue that should we have been bothering people? Should we have been getting in touch with, with people who were involved in really, really important work and helping to save lives? It, is, it continues to be, to be a, massive, a massive issue for us, I think. And it has been, for myself and my team, one of the most delicate tasks that we've had to manage is to know when to send the occasional email when to come down really heavily um, and because the risk of, of, of items being lost. Even when the time was judged right and scientists and medics have, generally, have generously met virtually with um, the Science Museum curators, it was often the case that items of use, uh, items of interest to us were still in use. Um, this isn't the case, obviously, of um, that's me on gallery in the medicine galleries holding a billboard that um, I lifted on the way home one evening in early March 2020. That's now part of the collection as well. Another example of, of a ephemera around around the pandemic. But items that are still in use that people do not want to give away is particularly the case with big and expensive and cutting edge technology. And a number of instances, we've requested that items could be delivered um, or donated to the Science Museum when no longer needed, either because they have broken or been superseded by, um, by technological developments. This is quite often in, in many years time. And this is a method of collecting that my colleague at the National Museums of Scotland, Sophie Goggins, calls post-it collecting. And it is literally sellotape a post-it to the side of a piece of machinery and say, do not throw this away. The museum wants it. This is my name and phone number. And it is actually surprising how often people do get back in touch, sometimes years later. 
And it's not only with expensive equipment that curators have to hold back. Um, our advisory panel decided very, very early on that anything at all that could potentially contribute to protecting an, the health of an individual in, in society, we, we should refuse. So for example, at the time of massive shortage in PPE, um, in spring 2020, we were, we were offered a visor made of um, 3D printing, which we refused um, and preferring that it was used for the reason that it was, it was actually made. Sometimes it's the smallest objects that pack the, the largest emotional punch. And the Science Museum has on display the vial that contained the very first vaccine for COVID-19 administered as part of a mass programme rolled out across the world. The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine was delivered to 90-year-old Margaret Keenan in Coventry University Hospital on the 8th of December 2020. And it, this is now displayed on gallery in the Science Museum. Um, we have on display nearby another empty vaccine vial, the very first dose of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine given to Brian Pinker at the beginning of 2021. Uh, without the combined help of NHS England, AstraZeneca, Pfizer and Coventry University Hospital and the Oxford Vaccine Group, these items would undoubtedly have just been placed in a biohazard bin and lost forever. Now saved, um, they are definitely what we would call wow objects. And to see people on gallery just staring at this, um, and, uh, and, it's, and it's a you can't really see from this photo, but it's absolutely tiny, is something that is, is quite moving. Um, I did have a Zoom meeting with Margaret Keenan and lifted the laptop to show her um, uh, the display case and she thought it was absolutely hilarious um, and she kept on saying that's been in my arm she couldn't quite believe it so to continue to collect around vaccination development especially times when physically visit visiting labs is something that is going to be a challenge and one that remains a challenge for some years to come to collect with a view to posterity is an action that remains highly subjective and it's dependent on the decisions and the personal interests of the curator, as well as the influence of major external events. It can be influenced by the reevaluing of museums existing collections and complete different shifts in priorities. And if we look at the specific collection relating to public health in the Science Museum, this has changed in recent years for what was a relatively inactive collection of hygiene, which might be, um, it might include uh, soap, knit combs, bidets, shaving bowls. And it's gradually become one of the most important collections in the museum. And it acknowledges the importance of collecting objects largely overlooked by previous curators that can represent health and medicine at a population level. So this collection becomes a much truer reflection of public health. So an understanding of previous approaches, particularly to collecting, or indeed not collecting, and that's, that's another different lecture, around epidemics and pandemics, 
coupled with the an awareness of the challenge that such a project might encounter in the current situation, hopefully should forewarn and forearm us. But I think we need to really, really beware of becoming complacent. There are associated dangers around us feeling smug and that we've got it all right. The attitudes that we hold are as open to bias and influence as anybody else. And of course, I have absolutely no doubt that we will be criticised by our successors further down the line who are utterly baffled um, and just say, well, why on earth didn't they get one of these? And there's loads of these which are completely not interesting. What were they thinking? We, we have tried to, to leave a written record so that um, uh, so that our future future uh, colleagues are not completely confused by, by our thinking. This image shows a, a beautiful glass sculpture. It's, it's quite difficult to, to see from the photograph. It's created by the artist Angela Palmer that we can see on the screen at the moment. And it's become part of the Science Museum art collections. It shows, of course, the famous coronavirus, but in real life, it's, it's, very, it's very ephemeral. It's made up of layers of different sheets of glass that have different etchings on them. So it sort of changes as you as you approach it. It's it's a really it's a really beautiful way of representing uh, the molecular in a in a in a, a visually striking way that I think when it goes on display, our visitors are going to are going to really enjoy. So again, as we draw towards the close of this talk, thinking about absences in the collection. And I think it is just worth acknowledging, even if there are things that we really, really know we want, there are still things that get away. One small example, in January 2020, there are large laminated information sheets began to appear um, in UK airports. And just through using text and simple graphics, they asked if those arriving recently from a city called Wuhan in China were experiencing fever or coughing or trouble breathing, um, that they should, that they should um, contact a doctor. Now, we spoke to numerous airports and asked them to put one, side, put one aside for us. And as I said, this was really very early on. And at the time, it probably seemed like quite an odd request. Um, and then of course, events overtook us and they, they became obsolete or they became overtaken with, with other items. So don't give up hope. It, one may pop up in a store cupboard months or years to come, but most likely this very early public warning of what was to become a world-changing event is now a new absence in our ever-growing collection. So finally, um, this is some of my team in early lockdown. And as you can see, they are, they're still struggling with the technology um, at, this, at this stage of events, um, to much hilarity from, from the others. Um, and I would just like to end up with one final challenge experienced by all of the museum staff that have been collecting around COVID-19, not just in the Science Museum, but in museums and archives internationally. And that has been to monitor the emotional well-being of our colleagues and of ourselves while all in isolation in our own homes. To collect the very thing that is causing untold stress, 
to your families and your communities is in itself a highly stressful activity. And I think it speaks really well for the collegiate nature of those who work in museums that we genuinely have tried to collaborate and to support each other through this most difficult of curatorial tasks. Thank you for listening to our History of Medicine lecture series, Case Notes. This podcast has been brought to you by the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh. We're a charity, and if you enjoyed today's show, head over to rcpe.ac.uk backslash heritage for more information and how to donate. Thank you.